Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 16. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 16. And as we go through the Gospel record of Luke chapter 16, may I remind you of the context of where we're at the, the gospel record of Luke chapter 16 and verse number 1, the first word is the word and. The word and is a conjunction which means that it is tying two thoughts together. And in fact, this is the same incident that has actually started in the gospel record of Luke chapter 14 where the Pharisee had invited Jesus to dinner. And ever since then, it has been a long-running conversation, a long-running display, a long-running preaching that has continued to go on where the Pharisee have been getting angrier and angrier and angrier and more frustrated and more upset and Jesus is still preaching and trying to get their attention as well as using these illustrations to preach to his disciples and to the people that are around him. And so if you don't mind, let's pick this story up in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 16 and see as the Lord Jesus Christ is once again addressing his disciples with the Pharisees in earshot. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Luke 16 in verse 1. And he, that's Jesus, said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man, which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer <laughs> mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, and said, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write four score. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he hath done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. I say unto you, make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in much, and he that is unjust in least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust? the true riches. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he would hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. And he said unto themselves, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. And the law and the prophets were unto John since the time that the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. 
Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another uh, committed adultery. And whosoever marrieth her is put away from her husband committeth adultery. And if you don't mind, as we cover this, there's going to be a lot about the unfaithful steward. But if you don't mind, we want to cover the idea of a faithful steward. We want to see here this principle that God is teaching from the opposite side that for the disciples, the audience he's directly addressing, the commandment and the teaching is for them to be faithful stewards. Faithful stewards. And with the Lord's help, we want to see what Jesus Christ is teaching here in concerns of stewardship and our responsibility to be faithful stewards. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, Lord, I'm just asking that you would just help us to understand the principles, understand what is being taught, and that we would determine to be faithful stewards in the things that you have given to us to be steward over. Give us an understanding. Let us understand the true responsibility and understanding that we're not just working for this life but we're working for the next. I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would shine upon us and give us great wisdom, great understanding, great power, and that we would take our place in what you would have us to do for eternity's sake and for your glory and name's sake. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, and you do what only you can do tonight. You give us understanding, illuminate our hearts, and draw us near to you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I'd already mentioned, this is a continuation of what has happened in chapter 14 and chapter 15. If you remember at the closing part or the entire part of gospel record of Luke chapter 15, Jesus is talking about the parable of lost things, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son, often called the parable of the prodigal son. Now remember in the prodigal son, these things are being addressed directly to the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees are looking down. How does Jesus spend time with the publicans? How does he spend time with the sinners? And so as he got through dealing with the Pharisees and pretty much told them that they were the older brother inside of the story of the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus then in that same breath, the same background, the Pharisees still there, the publicans are still there, the sinners are still there, the disciples are still there. Jesus finished talking to the Pharisees and he addresses the disciples in their presence and begins to teach them that they are to be faithful stewards and may I say by implication not like the Pharisees. And so the comparison, as the Pharisees are listening in, Jesus is still talking about them. But he's addressing the disciples and saying, you need to be different than them. And you need to be different than them by your stewardship. So if you don't mind, let's define terms. And the first thing I want to show you and explain to you is what is a steward? What is is a steward. Well, in verse number 12 of the gospel record of Luke chapter 16, we could see that Jesus defines a steward. Notice with me in verse number 12. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's. What is a steward? A steward is someone who is placed in charge of another man's possessions, goods, or finances. That's what a steward is. A steward is someone who's in charge of another man's possessions, goods, or finances. Well, we know that as Jesus Christ is talking about stewardship, that God is the one who owns everything, and that the disciples, as they are people of the direct address, they are expected to be good stewards of God's goods, of God's possessions, and God's finances, that they are responsible. God has placed them to be stewards over the world. Now, like the man in the story, we will have to give an account to God, to the master, for the things placed in our stewardship. Now, stewardship does involve finances, but it goes far beyond just finances. It includes anything God has placed over our lives. 
For example, someone may say, well, I just wasted my day. May I say, no, you did not. You did not waste the day. You wasted an opportunity that God gave you to be a steward of that day. Does that make sense? And you're going to have to give an account to the God who gave you that day to use. So we're not wasting our time. We're wasting the time that God has set us to be steward over. We're not wasting our finances. We're wasting the finances that God has placed us to be steward over. As a pastor, I'm not wasting. I'm going to be called to be an account of how I am a steward over his church. Does that make sense? This is the idea of stewardship that he is trying to get across to the disciples. That like this man in this story... The disciples and us are going to give an account to God for how good of a students, stewards, how faithful stewards we were during our time here on earth. So if you don't mind, the second thing I would like to show you, we define what a steward is. Here's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. The lessons we can learn from the unjust steward. The lessons we can learn from the unjust steward. Now, as we start off, let's again define our terms. In this case here, a steward is not a day laborer. So he's not someone who's hired just to do a job just for a day or a couple hours. He is not, a steward in this case, is not a slave who is commanded just to do something. A steward in this setting is a professional person who is hired for the purpose of overseeing someone's goods, finances, or possessions. So a steward is a professional person. He's not a slave, and he's not someone who's hired out just for a moment by moment. He is someone whose professional job is to oversee another person's possessions. Now, notice, if you don't mind, as we get ready for the story, this, this steward is held a responsible position with wide powers of discretion in handling his master's affairs. What does that mean? That means that his master didn't give him a lot of dictation. He had full authority, autonomy. He just had to make sure he was going to give an account. So he had the responsibility to do what he thought was right concerning finances. Now with that freedom also comes with the freedom of abuse. And may I say that God has given us a lot of freedom. On that freedom, there comes a lot of opportunity for abuse. We can abuse the powers and abuse what God has given us to be steward over. And instead of doing it for him, we could end up doing it for ourselves. Which is what we're learning here. Notice if you don't mind as we pick up the story in chapter number 16 and verse 1. And he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man. And by the way, we're going to see in here that he wasn't just rich. He was rich, rich. He was very rich. There was a certain rich man that had a steward. And the same, this same steward was accused unto the rich man that the steward had wasted the rich man's goods. So here it had come to the attention of the rich man that his steward was not re acting responsibly. Verse number two. And he, the rich man, called him the steward and said unto him, How is it that I heard this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. So what had happened is that this man had wasted his goods. The word wasted in verse number one is the same word that was used with the idea of the prodigal son. That he had wasted his living with riotous living. And we had covered that before. So here's a man who wasted things on himself. And what makes it worse is that it's not his possessions. He is using someone else's possessions, someone else's finances, someone else's good to make his life better without regard to the master. He has wasted his things and he gets caught. Now he has to stand before the master and he has to give an account for what he did with the master's goods. And he's going to take the books and there's going to be an accounting here. Now, may I tell you that this isn't just a mean tweet or something that's going on Facebook. This is carrying the idea that there is a legal drawed up charges that have come up against this man. It's not just an accusation or someone's mad at him. This is going to be legal trouble that is now coming up. 
to take the books and to draw them up. And he knows he's guilty. He knows he's going to be fired. Now, this is a big deal. Now, in our mind, when we think about getting fired, we just go, well, I've lost my job. Well, there goes my income for now. But for this steward, it's much more than this. Because at this time, the steward, not only is he in charge, he's in legal trouble, but he has also been living in the man's house. So when he loses his job, he just doesn't lose income. He is now going to become homeless. Not only that, he is also ruining his reputation. There's no one who would hire him to be a steward after this scandal. So this is a big deal. He is financial trouble. He is now in personal trouble. And then his reputation is in trouble. And by the way, whenever someone misuses money and they're in it for the money and money has them, they're always going to be in trouble. It is always going to follow him. And so he knows he's going to be fired. He knows that the books are going to be accountable. But he has a little time where he still has the books. And he's got to think of a plan. What do I do? How do I take care of myself? Notice his reasoning in verse number 3. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship I cannot dig. Now notice this. He goes, Now I know I'm in trouble. I'm going to be homeless. My reputation's going to be ruined. I'm lost my thing, my job. I lost my income. What am I going to do? He says, I can't dig. Maybe he's lazy. Maybe he's not physically able. We don't know what it is. But listen, I can't go dig ditches. I've been having a cushy life for a long time. It's not like I go back to hard labor. I'm not going back to that. Again, whether it's his choice or his inability, I'm not going to dig. He says, listen, not only am I going to dig, I... To beg, I'm ashamed. I got too much pride in that. I'm not going to go beg for money. (laughs) That's not going to happen. So what do you do? You're losing your job. You're losing your home. You've lost your reputation. You can't get another cushy job. What do you do? Well, that's his problem. How do I figure this out? How do I get this to work? How How do I get this to my favor? So he comes up with a plan. He still has the books. The accounting hasn't come. He has a short little time before the accountants start going over the books. I got to do something. So what he does is he comes up with an idea. He says, I'm going to do is I'm going to take all the creditors that my master has. And the Bible only mentions two, but it carries with it the idea that there's a long list of creditors. And he's going to call them one by one. And he's going to call them in privately so they can't compare notes. Each one of them are going to think they're going to get the deal of the century. And he's doing it for them. So notice what he does. Verse number five. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said to the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? So notice what he does first. He brings in the guy and he has the books open. Meaning he has the accounting books. They know how much it is. But he asked them anyways so that way they can confirm with their mouth how much they owe the master. So how much do you owe? I'm looking at the books. How much do you owe? Now notice what he said in verse number 6. And he said a hundred measures of oil. Now this is a big deal. A hundred measures of oil. A hundred measures of oil would come out to be about eight to nine hundred barrels of oil. That's quite a bit. It would be a yield of a hundred and forty-six olive trees. And if you were to equivalate that, it would be equivalent to three years salary of a common man. So if we were to change it to American terms, you know, basic equivalents, this man had owed the master $150,000. As I told you, this rich man is not just rich, he's really rich. And here's just one of them who owed the master $150,000. That's quite a bit. And so the unjust servant says, listen here, how much do you owe me? I owe 100 measures of oil. He says, listen here, I got a deal of a century for you. Take your checkbook right now and let's cut it down and let's make you a deal. And so he made him a deal, gave him pennies on the dollar and said, here, just write a check right now. Let's pay it. Now, the idea of it is that the unjust servant is going to say, guess what? I am making you a deal of a century. Let's go ahead and pay this off. Let's make it cheap. And the idea is, is this guy is going to owe the servant a favor. 
I meant, hey, if you could be saved $100,000 off a bill, wouldn't you be grateful to the guy who saved you? Absolutely. And so the servant saying, listen, I'm going to rack up some favors. I still got the books. He didn't take it away from me. Let's see what I can do for myself. And let's make all these people happy so they owe me a favor. So he calls in the second guy. And verse number 7. And he said to another, how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. Now a hundred measures of oil and a hundred measures of wheat are two different values. The hundred visions uh, uh, measures of wheat is equivalent to 120 bushels of wheat. This would equivalent to about a 10 years salary of the common man. This would be close to this man had owed the master about a half a million dollars. Like I said, this isn't just a rich man. This is a really rich man who someone owed a half a million dollars. That's a lot. And so the unjust servant says, guess what? I've got a deal for you. Let's make pennies on the dollar. Take your checkbook right now. Let's go ahead and make this even. You go ahead and give me a check. We'll cover this up. You won't owe the master anymore. And you owe me a favor. Well, if someone's going to save you hundreds of thousands of dollars off a bill, wouldn't you take that if you were able to? Absolutely. Let's write a check. Let's get this clear. Let's get this off the books. Let's take care of that right now. And now, here's another favor. And one by one, he calls in all the, cre- the debtors. One by one, he makes them a deal and gets pennies off the dollar. And may I say that it's not for the master's sake that he is doing this. It is all for him. It is all for him. He knows that he has to do it right then and there because once he turns in the books, any deal that he offers cannot be taken. This is the only chance. And so write it quickly. Write it now. Let's solve this right now. Let's get it taken care of. And you owe me a favor. I've got to do this quickly. Now remember the Pharisees are looking on. And Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. Don't be like this. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't do this. The love of mammon. And we'll define mammon in just a second. The love of mammon has made this unjust servant A selfish man. The love of mammon has made this unjust servant a dishonest man. The love of mammon has made this unjust servant a manipulating man. And the whole time the unjust servant is not doing what is right. He is doing what is benefit to him. Now think about his master. His master was owed half a million dollars. Guess what the master would want? A half a million dollars. How would you like to see someone owed you a half a million dollars and they end up just paying $50,000 for it? This guy is robbing his master. And by the way, legally, because the unjust steward is still in charge with the books, it is binding. There's nothing the master can do about this once the deal is struck and it's cut off the books paid in full. The master has to abide to it. Otherwise, no one would ever loan or borrow money from the master ever again. Sure, he could go through a legal thing trying to take him to court and try to do other stuff, but it's going to ruin his reputation, ruin his business. He is done. So notice, this, this servant is not doing it for the master. He's doing it for the purpose for his own selfish reasons. What we see here is a man here who is entirely dependent on man. And Jesus is going to teach some lessons here that you have a choice of how you live. You're either going to be totally dependent on God or you're going to be wholly dependent on man. And that's the principle that we're being taught here of who are you going to trust. Are you going to trust in man and his money and his possessions or are you going to depend upon God. What are the lessons that we can learn? Here's the first one. Jesus is going to teach these. He gives this parable and then makes commentary after this. Learn from those who know how to use finances. The first principle. Learn from those who know how to use finances. Notice with me verse 8. Now it sounds like an odd verse because the unjust servant just robbed his master blind. 
And now that the master has the books and is doing accounting from it, notice what the master says. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. This word wisely is important. This word wisely is not the same as biblical wisdom. This word wisely carries the idea of being shrewd. Carrying the idea of being clever. Being wise in the world's eyes. Being wise in the world's eyes is not the same as being wise in God's eyes. And so when the master looks at the books and saw what the, master, what the servant done, he knew what the servant did. And he goes, yeah, that's pretty smooth. Yeah, I can see why you did it. These people owe you favors now. I hope that goes well for you. He's commending him and says, you know, this hurts me a whole lot. I see what you did. You know, he's commending him on his worldly wisdom, not his biblical wisdom. You understand there's a difference here. But then Jesus goes up here and says, And the Lord commended the unjust servant because he had done wisely. Notice this. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now here, here's a comparison between two groups. The children of this world, or mean the people who live for this world, are wiser than the children of light. Who's the children of light? Us. Do you know for some reason it seems like church people don't know how to use finances? We don't know how to use finances. We don't know how to make money. Does that make sense? But there are people who are shrewd in the world's eyes who know how to make money and know how to use it. Now, we're not saying that we learn about how to be manipulative or dishonest or whatever else. However, there are some things that we could learn that are probably... Let me give an example. I knew of a church who was given $1 million. Woohoo! That's great. Now, most people in a church would look at $1 million and say, what can we fix? How can we use it? And how fast can we use it? Right? We're looking at all the things that need to be done. There's a lot of repairs that need to be done. A lot of things that need to be fixed. Well, man, we could just use this all and still just scratch the surface. We need even more. But what the church did is they put the million dollars inside of a high interest savings account. Then they use the interest every month to pay for the Christian school so the kids in the church can go for free. Is that wise? Absolutely. But again, church people, we just, here's the million dollars, let's use it because there's a lot of things that need to be done. Here's a million dollars, let's send it to missions. Woohoo, that's great. And then it's gone. Does it make sense? That's normally what happens. But the world knows how to save and they know how to get money, or some of them do. There are some lessons we can learn that's not lying or cheating or scheming, but we can learn from things. Here's an idea that I have in my head that I would love to get. I would love for the church to buy up two or three houses. What are we going to do with two or three houses? Well, what if we took a couple, a married couple who was in Bible college that had a little bit of debt. They're not quite ready to go to the field. But what if we could get them and put them in a house where they don't have a house payment? They have to pay for their phone and internet and whatnot, but we're paying the house for them. Now what they could do is they could work part-time and still make ends meet, and then part-time work for the church where we could train them and equip them so they go to the mission field. During that time, they're paying off their bills and starting to get savings and getting their finances in order so they can go start a church or go become missionaries. Wouldn't that be wise? Absolutely. You know, there are different ways that we could use finances and use them wisely. And so there are some things that we can learn because somehow worldly people know how to make money. Obviously, we don't because we don't have millionaires and we don't even have thousandaires in here. Smile and laugh. It is fine. You understand, if we can learn some of those principles to help us out, that would be a blessing. Jesus says, listen... In the world's eyes, they know what they're doing. There are some things that we can learn from them. Not the lying, not the scheming, not the manipulating. But there are some things we can learn from them. Notice something else. There's another lesson here. Not only learn from those that know how to do finances, but here's something. Temporal money for eternal riches. Temporal money for eternal riches. Now again, here is another saying. Verse number 9. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. That when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Habitations. What 
in the world. Now let's define terms. Let's define the word mammon since we're here. The word mammon is an important word. It comes, its root word comes where we get our word amen. The word amen means I agree. Mammon has to do with those things that we trust in. The things that we rely upon. It's the things that people put their trust and confidence in. Now, Mammon goes beyond finances. There are sometimes people put their, fi- their hopes and dreams in the car that they own, the truck that they have, the house that they have, their 401k, their retirement plan. Their, what, do you understand that you could depend on other things? Some of it may be money. You may depend on mommy and daddy and say, I'm 50 years old. I'm still hoping that mommy and daddy take care of me. It's putting your faith and trust in something. And notice the word unrighteous here. That unrighteous mammon, it's going to be brought up again in, um, we'll define it when we get there in verse 11. But make friends of mammon of unrighteousness in verse number 9. The idea of unrighteousness carries the idea of those that lead you not towards God. Do you know that money doesn't necessarily lead you to God? And so there are things, your house doesn't lead you to God. There are things that we have that we possess that's not wrong to possess. It's not owned to own a house. It's not wrong to own a car. But those things don't bring you closer to God. Those are things that we have to have in the world. We have to deal with money. It's one of the things we have to deal with. You can't just say, well, I'm going to live a moneyless existence. Good luck. It's something we have to deal with and we have to do this with. But make friends yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Meaning we need to be invested in people around us in the world. Business owners, banks, other stuff, and have a good reputation. Why? That when ye fail, this word when you fail carries the idea when you come to the end of something. When you come to the end of something, it doesn't necessarily mean that when you fall and and fail. So I'm a preacher. And when I fail, I need to make friends with uh, the lost people so I have somewhere to go. It's not what it's saying. But when you fail, carries when you get to the end of your time, end of your life. Notice what it says in that light. I say make unto yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness that when you fail, it reach to the end of your time, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. What this is saying is that we need to use the finances and the possessions of this world to reach people with the gospel. So when we get to the end of our road here, we're going to see them up in heaven. We need to be using our finances responsibly. As we're having a missions conference coming up in about a week, we're going to have something we call faith promise missions. Now, with it, we call it grace giving, faith promise, whatever we want to call it. But you know, there's a challenge there. What if you didn't go to Starbucks one time a week and just gave it to missions? Would that be a good investment? If you decided, you know what, I'm going to cut out McDonald's for one week. Or who hots or something. I'm going to choose to go without some of those luxury items. And I'm going to turn around and give it so we could go get more tracks. So we could pass out uh, more tracks. So we could put more, invest it into reaching people with the gospel. And the various medias and mediums that we have. Would it be a good investment if someone got saved? Absolutely. And so you understand that we could use the finances that God, you work and you work and you get money. And we tithe because of the tithes of the Lord, but above and beyond our tithe, we could give an offering and say, you know what? I want to help a missionary go tell people about the Lord. It is a good investment. I want to invest in here so we could print some more tracks. That is a good investment. Hey, I want to be able to take care of this so we could get more people come to the Lord. It is a good investment. And that we could use the world's riches to invest and get everlasting riches. And reaching people with the gospel. That is a good way to use our finances. Knowing that we could use those things we have now. The temporary money. The temporary finances. And turn it into something eternal. This is one of the lessons here. Remember, you're either going to be living for money now. Or investing in eternity for later. 
You're either being an unjust steward or a wise steward, a faithful steward, knowing that you're going to have to stand before God and give an account. These are the lessons that he's trying to teach. The Pharisees, are they living for the now world or later world? Now world. They want everyone to see how great they are and how wonderful they are and the finances they use, they use to make themselves look better. Or, instead of making yourself look better and feel better, why not invest in eternity? Use our finances wisely for Him. Notice we see something else in verse number 10. We could see those that are faithful in least is faithful in much. Those that are faithful in least is faithful in much. Notice with me verse 10. He that is faithful in which that is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust in much. Listen, why should God trust you with eternal things if he can't trust you with temporary things? If God can't trust you, if you're careless and unprincipled with something like money, why would God Trust you with something with like souls. Something that matters. Something that's important. Something that's going to cause you to neglect the Lord's work. You understand that you need to be careful in the matters. That if you are faithful in money, God could trust you with other things. Now you understand that some of these other things are going to show up in the millennial kingdom. If God can't trust you to be good, wise steward over what he has given to you, how can he trust you to be a wise steward over cities and people in the millennial kingdom? We understand that we're in a lifelong job application and God wants to see, can he trust us? Can he trust us with even more? And if he can't trust you with money, why should he trust you with something more important? If he can't trust you to keep your car, your house clean, your other... Why should he trust you with other things? Does that make sense? Are you faithful? If you're going to be careless in temporal matters, you will be careless with the work of the Lord. Something else as we learn, remember Jesus is teaching little principles here. If we can't be trusted with small things, why would God trust us with larger things? Notice with me in 11 and 12. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, remember this is goods, possessions, things that we have that are temporary, that doesn't necessarily bring us to God like money, vehicles, cars, relationships, time, all of this other stuff. If ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another's man's, who will give you that which is your own? If you can't be trusted to keep someone else's stuff, why would God give you more stuff for you? There is principles here that we need to learn. Can you be trusted? Which is going to bring to one more lesson that he teaches in this specific idea. Who is the master? Who is the master? It now comes to the idea of stewardship of masters. Who is the master? Notice if you don't mind here. Verse number 13. No servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one or love the other. Or else he would hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now we understand that you can't serve more than one master. You say, well, I've tried it a couple times. I remember I was in the Air Force and I had seven bosses at one time. And every single one of them had a different thing they wanted me to do. And it's a true thing. I can't obey all of them if they're giving me contradictory orders. I have to choose which one I'm going to obey and then tell the other one I'm not obeying you. That's always fun, isn't it? Well, we understand that the world and its riches have different orders and instructions than God does. 
And you're going to have to choose the love of money, the love of things to be your master. And there are many people who do that. The, you know, the one who has the most toys wins. They're trying to be the biggest billionaire, the next millionaire. They're trying to show how great they are. They want the newest vehicle, the newest car, the newest house. They want the newest TV. If someone gets a, a newer TV, they got to get a newer TV. They got to keep up with the Joneses. All of this other stuff that controls them. I got to have one more video game. I've got to have one more Facebook thing. I got to have one more phone. Oh, I just got the newest phone and now the newest phone came out. I got to get that one now. People get into that type of stuff. What can I have? Newest, greatest, better. Who is your master? You can't obey the world and the calling of its goods and services and obey God at the same time. You will either live to make money or to get new stuff or you will live for God. You cannot do both. And you have to choose who is your master. Who is your boss? Knowing this, that one day you're going to have to stand before God, the true master, and give an account. Just like the unjust servant. He had to stand before God and give an account of his life. And give an account for his actions. And give an account for his dealings. And give account for the stewardship of the things that is not him. You will either... Live for something material or live for something spiritual. You will either invest in this world or invest in the next. But you cannot do both. You have to choose which one is going to take priority. Now as the disciples are being addressed, the Pharisees are there listening on. And as the, the Pharisees are listening on, they do not like this message. They do not like it, not at all. And so there's one more thing of stewardship that Jesus addresses in this subject. The stewardship of God's word. The stewardship of God's word. Notice with me in verse number 14. And the Pharisees also who were covetous. Notice that God gives them why they're so upset. Why are they so upset? Because they love the world's goods. They don't want to invest in eternity. They love money. They love prestige. They love honor. They love the robes. They love everything that goes with it. They love their houses. They love the stuff. They love stuff. They're covetous. They desire more and more stuff. And so because they heard this message, and now remember, Jesus isn't talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples. But as they're listening in, they're mad. They're upset. Notice what it says. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things and they derided him. They derided him. This idea is they openly laugh. The word deriding here carries with it the idea that they look down their noses. They openly scoffed at Jesus. Now why they're wearing fine clothes and fine uh, robes and they're looking good and they build up prestige. What they're looking at is a Galilean peasant. And they laughed out loud. He wants to teach us about finances. He doesn't have somewhere to lay his head down at night. I'm going to a nice house. Who does he think he is to tell me that I'm not using my finances wisely? Who does he think? He's, he's out of his mind. And they laugh at him. They deride him. They publicly out loud are doing everything but pointing at him and laughing and saying na 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 na. They just can't stand this message. So, Jesus addressed them. And while he's addressing them, there's an awful combination that you see here. Mammon and religion. Mammon and religion. Isn't it amazing when you put those two together, what an awful combination they make. Right now, between mammon and religion, you have a lot of religious leaders who are rolling in the money. You take some of these religious leaders like a Joel Olstein or a T.J. Jakes who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Joyce Myers has a $150 million jet just to travel around with. These people are always in financial trouble and yet they don't let anybody look at their books and hold them accountable. 
when someone questions them, it's always bad. Now, I'm not purposely trying to kick all of them, but I'm trying to say an observation that religion and covetousness, religion and mammon are always a bad combination. And the Pharisees are a good example of that. And so Jesus addresses them. Verse 15. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. What a powerful statement there. You understand, whether they like it or not, they will stand before God and give an account. And they could justify before men about why they need a $150 million jet to get around. A Kenneth Copeland can justify to the public why he has five mansions. Some of these other religious ruler, uh, people with all of their fleet of cars and whatnot, they could justify before men, but one day they're going to stand before God. And God knows their heart. He knows their heart. And for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What a frightful saying that is. God knows your heart. They are to set steward over. Notice these things that the Pharisees are supposed to be set steward over. There's a stewardship of God's word. Notice in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Now that's a whole teaching in itself. But the Old Testament goes all the way up to John. John was the last prophet. Technically the age of grace does not begin until Calvary. That's a whole different thing. Since the time the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Meaning that right now as we're teaching about salvation, salvation is the time. We're trying to tell everyone salvation is for free. Salvation is for you. You could take it now. We're spending our time doing that. But all you're doing Pharisees, how can I look at me? I'm not worried about the peasants and I'm not worried about the sinners. How can I look great in the eyes of men? Notice in verse number 17. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. He says, listen, the Bible is not going away and the Bible will stand. It doesn't matter what happened. Let me tell you, when earth and heaven pass away, there's still going to be God's word. And that's what we're going to be judged by. That is the medium. That is the criteria is God's word. And that's what we have to obey. Verse number 18. So Jesus now pulls a principle out of God's word. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committed adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. God has a different standard than even the Pharisees do. Now, Jesus is making things specific for them. He uses the principle of divorce. This statement that Jesus made is in defiance of the school of Hillel, one of the greatest Jewish teachers of philosophy and thought. And according to the thought of Hillel, the school of Hillel, it permitted divorce for all kinds of frivolous reasons. Such a thing as my wife burnt bread, divorce. My wife messed up my meal. Divorce. Divorce was allowed for pretty much any little infraction. So why does Jesus bring in this idea of divorce? He just got there talking about finances. But it's all come to the same thing. We have a master by the name of God. And we're held responsible. Whether it's dealing with the idea of finances or goods. Or even the obedience to God's word. We're going to have to stand before him and give an account. Now. Just because the Pharisees just mocked Jesus for his teaching about money, so he brings up something near and dear to their heart, divorce. So Jesus is teaching that not only are we going to be held accountable for our finances, we're going to be accountable for how we obey his word. And by the way, as a side note, something I was just looking at today, remember when Bathsheba, who was married to someone else, Uriah the Hittite, And she goes and commits adultery with David. This becomes a very big deal. That when you go to the gospel record of Matthew, you have some ladies in there who were sinners. You have Rahab the harlot. And God doesn't mention her sin. You have Tamar who had acted maybe not correctly. But you know what? She looked to God. 
But when you read the account of Matthew, it doesn't bring up Bathsheba's name. It says David and her that had been the wife of Uriah. All those hundreds of years later, God is still pointing out that she had committed adultery. She was married. You see, this is a big deal. And God's putting a standard here. And the Pharisees don't like it. Jesus said, listen, you're responsible and you're going to stand before God. Whether it's on finances, you're going to stand before God. Whether it's what you do with the possessions you have, you're going to stand before God. What you do with the time that God allows you to have and the health that God allows you to have, you're going to stand before God. Or whether it's how you respond to God's word, you will stand before God and give an account to him. And you may try to justify yourself to man and you may try to pull the wool over man, but God knows your heart. And the things that you may think is acceptable in the sight of the world is an abomination to him. And you're going to stand before him and give an account. So remember, what is the principle here? We're not learning how to be unjust servants, but rather Jesus is trying to put the emphasis on being faithful stewards. Faithful to what God has given to us. Knowing that we have a master we're going to have to give an account to and the books will be open and everything we do is going to be accounted for. And we're going to see the results of everything. And we're either investing in this world or we're investing in the next. And there's many Christians who live in this world who are going to be bankrupt in the other side. And there are a lot of Christians who are not faithful with things now that when they go to the other side, God won't trust them with things because he couldn't trust them with things in the here and now. So the question, the bearing question, are you faithful? Are you faithful to what God has given to you? Maybe someone will say, Pastor, you don't understand. I messed up pretty badly. And, and the more that you say this, the more that I realized. May I give you some hope that the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. You can't do anything about yesterday, but what you could do is start from where you are and move forward. Maybe some of you need to say, I need a new beginning. Lord, I may have messed up in the past. I may have messed up earlier today. But where I am right now, by your help and your grace... Help me to be faithful, knowing that I'm going to stand before you and give an account. Help me to be found faithful. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.